want to begin this series by asking you a question, and here's the question. What does it take to disturb your soul? What does it take to disturb your serenity? That is, your inner calm. Our family had the privilege of going to Hawaii, uh, first time ever for us as a family, to vacation this summer. A, a family in this church generously gave us a timeshare for a condo they had over there, so we were able to do it. And it was an incredible trip. And I will tell you, Hawaii is as beautiful as everybody says. But I learned a lot of things about Hawaii I didn't realize. And one of them was that surfing really is a big deal over there. It just wasn't on Hawaii 5.0. I mean, it really was a big deal. And also, surfing is pretty dangerous. On one of my walks, I stumbled upon this surfing instructor who had his students on the beach. And he was giving them instructions about watching out for the big waves. He called them rogue waves. And here's what he, what, what he said. Uh, you cannot avoid these waves. He said, you're not in charge of waves. He said, you can't beat the waves. They're too big. He says, when they come, the only thing that you can do is stay calm. Take a big breath, grab hold of your board, and then duck down, dive deep under the water. And the wave and the turbulence will go over you while you serenely wait underneath. And then he said, but if you do not hold on to your board, if you do not duck down, dive deep enough, get ready for a trip to the ER. Here's the point. If you live long enough, Life is going to send you some rogue waves. You will lose your job. You will get depressed. Your parents, your children, or you might go through a divorce. You'll go to the doctor and the doctor will say the C word. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend will say, I don't love you anymore, don't want to see you again. You will worry about your kids. You will worry about your future. You will worry about your money. You will worry about your own body, what's going on within it. You will worry about worrying, and then you will worry about worrying about worrying, and you won't be able to stop. What do you do when you find yourself in the ways of life come? Where do you find peace and calm? We all wish we could have a season in our life and find some place where there are no ways. That place does not exist. What we all need is a peace. We need a calm that it can't touch. Jesus said this over in John chapter 14. He says, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I give you a different kind of peace. Now the kind of peace that the world gives is the ability to be in a good mood because you got pleasant circumstances where everything is good. You go on your family vacation, it's 72 degrees, it's perfect. 
You're driving your perfect convertible Lexus with your perfectly behaved kids to the perfect beach house on the perfect beach and your kids all wearing these perfect little polo shirts. And not only that, your wife or your spouse on a scale of one to 10 is an 11. I mean, they look great. And the grill mahi mahi at the beach house, it is perfect. And then you realize that's not your family. Your wife has issues. Your kids have colic. Your boss is a narcissistic sociopath and your car has a broken down transmission. And not only that, your therapist is on a perfect vacation with that perfect family. What do you do when you find yourself in that situation and you're looking for peace and calm? Not just in the dramatic tsunamis, but I'm talking about in the little rogue waves that disturb you, that get you upset, like a traffic jam, like a flat tire at the wrong time, like that pesky little pain in the you-know-what person at your office that won't quit and they just won't go away. They just keep on showing up. That snarky email from that snarky person. What do you do? Where do you find it? What do you need? You need serenity. You need something more than just calm. You need a serenity that the world cannot teach. You need a peace that is not based on your circumstances, but something deeper. In your notes, serenity. Serenity is a byproduct of finding a solid spiritual foundation upon which to build my life. Serenity is what Jesus offered you and me in the Sermon on the Mount when he says on Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things, peace, calm, assurance. Go back and read the text, Matthew chapter 6. It will be given to you. Now, there's a prayer that was written decades away, decades ago, called the Serenity Prayer. It was written by an American theologian by the name of Reinhold Niebuhr. Some of you probably know this prayer, the first few lines of it. This morning, I want to share the whole prayer with you. And maybe even some of you want to speak it out loud as we go through it. You're welcome to. Here's the prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking as he did, that is Jesus, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Now, we have been in the Sermon on the Mount since September. This morning, we are pushing the pause button, and we're going to kind of work our way through parts of this prayer. We will resume uh, the Sermon on the Mount after New Year's. 
But what we're going to do is we're just going to work our way through this prayer in many ways. Now, I want to tell you one thing that I'm doing. I'm saying this prayer very first thing every morning and the last thing before I go to bed at night. And I'm memorizing the prayer along the way. And I would invite you to consider doing that yourself. It's easy to find on the internet. Just download it on your phone and it's right there. Now, here's where we're going with this. This morning, how do I get the serenity to accept what I cannot change? How do I do that? Week two, how do I get the courage to change what I can't change, what I, what I can change? Week three, how do I get the wisdom to know the difference between those two? Week four is the weekend of joy for our Advent candle. On Saturday night, we're going to have a special Christmas music presentation in our sanctuary at 6 o'clock. All are invited. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. On the fourth week on Sunday morning, we're having a regular two services in here at 9.30 and 11, led by our children, the family Christmas service. Then the following weekend is Christmas Eve. We'll have Friday night service traditional on the 23rd, and on Saturday, we'll have three contemporary Christmas Eve services here in the center. But this morning, how do I get the serenity to accept what I cannot change? Now, I want to say something before we go much further and read the scriptures. We're going to look at, the, we're going to look at Mary this morning. It's the Christmas season. We're going to look at the things that Mary had to accept that she couldn't change. And what does that mean for you? I'm doing something this weekend I've never done before. If I've done it, I, I forgot that I have. I want to dedicate this message, and I've never dedicated the message before, to my father and to my mother, who are in large part the inspiration for this particular morning. Some of you, I wish you would have met my dad, know my dad. My dad is still alive. He's on hospice care now. He's 92 years of age. You've heard me talk about him a lot. He used to be on staff here. He's an ordained pastor. This church exists in large part because of the things that he did behind the scenes. Some of your marriages, some of your kids are sane because of the work that my dad did with you many, many, many years ago. And my mother is 85. And though she is 85, she is smarter than all of us put together in this room. And she can outwalk anybody in this room into the ground. She's a tireless bunny when it comes to walking. And she is now at my dad's bedside caring for him until his body can no more function. And so this morning, I dedicate that to them as what they have taught me. And I share this with you. Mary... We learn very in the very front end, you're probably familiar, Luke chapter 1, that Gabriel shows up to Mary, the angel, and says a lot to her. And among that he says, Mary, in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he's going to reign over Jacob's descendant forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if you're a Mary, you're thinking, well, Mary, that's an easy thing to say yes to. Hey, I'm going to get to be the mother of the Son of God. That almost makes me Mrs. God. How cool is that? I mean, everybody's going to know who I am. My name is going to be revered all over the place. I'll be hell Mary full of grace. They're going to name a football pass after me later on in life. I mean, my face is going to be presented in photos more on this earth, 
more than any other women until Taylor Swift botches her Eros tour, and it's everywhere ahead of mine. So Mary had herself in a situation. So you and I misunderstood all this going on. You and I think this was easy for Mary to say yes, but the scripture actually says in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at the words of the angel. See, you and I sometimes don't read the Bible correctly. You and I read the Bible because we know the end of the story, and we think they do too. Mary did not know what was to come. In fact, I love this, this quote from Soren Kierkegaard about this thing called life. Look what he says right here. Life can only be understood backwards, but you got to live it forwards. Mary, letter A, Mary had to accept an unknown future. That's how Mary had to live. She's a teenager. She's engaged and she's pregnant, but she's not yet fully married. Her husband-to-be Joseph knows he's not the dad. That makes Mary an adulterer. Moses wrote the Torah, the law, that was the governing body of that culture of which Joseph was an avid follower. We read in Matthew chapter 1. And because she was an adulterer, her punishment was to be, to be stoned to death. And Joseph, if he did not have her killed, was required by law not to marry her. This is the future she was looking forward to. At best, she would be destitute. She would be ostracized by her little community. She would raise a son who would be labeled and identified in the, in the community as an illegitimate child. She would not be allowed at the sacred assembly. You and I know how the story turns out in the end. Mary did not know. God grant me the serenity to accept that which I cannot change, even an unknown future that I don't know what's going to happen. Her response is amazing. She says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled, however. In Luke chapter 2, the baby is born. And after the, the baby is born, Mary and Joseph take their little boy Jesus to the temple. It was a part of the rite of offering their child as a, a, a sacrificial offering uh, to the Lord for thanks for the child. And we're told here in the scriptures they are met in chapter 2 by a man named Simeon. He was a prophet who had been waiting in the temple for the child to be born. And when the child comes in, he takes the baby from Mary takes him into his arms, he gives thanks to God, blesses the baby, and then he, does, he doesn't turn to Joseph, he doesn't turn to Mary, he doesn't turn to the baby. He turns to Mary, and here's what he says in verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Here it comes. Mary... A sword will pierce your own soul too. In your notes, let her be. Mary would have to accept inevitable suffering. Mary would suffer for Jesus before Jesus ever suffered for her. Think about it. Mary had no idea what the sword was. She said, I never knew when it was going to come. And how will I know when it is here? 
See, so many of us, we look backwards and we we worry and worry and worry about the past and we we or about the way things you we regret the past and we worry about the future. Mary had no idea what was to come, but she knew it was coming. God, grant me this strength to accept the suffering that is going to come in this moment, even though I don't know from where it's going to come. But not only that, she had to accept financial hardship. You see, in Israel. When you gave birth to a child, the woman was required as a part of the purification of her body to bring a sacrifice, and it was expected, of a perfect lamb to the temple. Unless, Leviticus 12, 8, unless you did not afford a perfect lamb, you were to bring two little pigeons or two little doves. If you were poor, that's what you would bring. So let's think about this. You have a baby. You're going to dedicate your baby in this church or have your baby baptized. And so you bring the child. And so you get this beautiful white christening ground or baptism ground or dedicated ground that was passed down in your family. It's a family heirloom. It's priceless. Or you go out and buy something brand new for the occasion. And then you got Mary who has to go to the goodwill who asked for a hand-me-down. And when you bring your child into the worship space, everybody oohs and awes over your little baby. But if you're married, nobody's oohing and awing. You see, the priest would take the, fan, the couple that had brought in the perfect lamb. And if you brought in a pigeon or a dove, you were lower on the totem pole. Folks, whether you like it or not, that's just the way it is. In most circles, if you're poor, you have to wait. You go last if you get to go at all. Mary had to live with this, accepting the reality of this financial hardship. I'm not knowing, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe this, maybe this is a step to her heart, that she would have to raise the Son of God in poverty her whole life. God, grant me the serenity to accept the financial situation of my life that I can't seem to change. Give me serenity for that, Lord. But it's more than money. Letter D. Letter C was financial hardship. Letter D is she would have to accept the death of her dreams. Here's what I know. Every parent, when a child is born, every grandparent, you start dreaming about that kid's future. You got big dreams. Mary had big dreams. What were they? We get a little hint over here in, in, in Mark, chapter, Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, she names her, her other sons. And we see this. They're asking a question about, uh, hey, hey, isn't this Mary's son? They're asking about Jesus. Yeah, I think it's Mary's son and the brothers here. There it is in verse 3, James, which really is the word Jacob. In the Greek, it is James. In the Hebrew, it is Jacob. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And then it says, and his sisters. Are they here with us? Now, does anybody know the names of Jesus' sisters? I think it was probably Brittany and Barbara. Right? Just kidding. Nobody knows. They're not in the Bible. We don't have, we really don't know who the Bible doesn't tell us who is, but we know <coughs> we know whose brothers were. And this gives us an idea of Mary's dream. You see, Mary is going to have to leave with the baby and Joseph, Israel, to go into Egypt because Herod's going to kill him. 
And no doubt, while she is going on the way, she remembers what happened years ago, that the people of Israel were in captive, captivity in Egypt. And God sent Moses and the patriarchs to deliver them out of Egypt. So she names her sons. Those four sons right there are named after the patriarchs of the 12 tribes, four of them of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's almost like she's praying to God, God, I'm just hoping that you will take my sons and you will make them new leaders today in Israel. So just like you sent Moses and the patriarchs of Go to deliver us from Egypt, that today you would deliver us from Rome through my sons and that dream would die. Do not raise your hand. How many of you have had a dream for a child, for a grandchild that did not come to pass? Your hopes, your expectations, and you had to die to them. God, grant me the serenity to accept the dreams that I cannot change and bring about by my own power. But not only that, letter E, she would have to die, she would have to um, have the serenity to accept her inability to control other people, especially Jesus. When Jesus turned 12, they go back to the temple over here in Luke chapter 2. And they're at the temple for a few days, and they leave. And Mary and Joseph, they look at each other and say, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had him. Where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had him. They lost Jesus. Has anybody ever lost a child? You know the fear of when you feel like your child is lost? Hey, we've lost a couple of our boys. We lost one of them at Chuck E. Cheese. We lost one of them at Six Flags. We got them both back. Most of the time, I'm glad that we got them both back. <laughs> there are times I still wonder. But no, I remember just how sweaty our palms were. Where are they? Where are they? Where? I mean, can you imagine what Mary's feeling? And can you imagine how Mary said, if the angel Gabriel shows up and say, hey, Mary, I'm just checking in. Uh, how's Jesus? Who? You know, Jesus. Where, 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 in fact, where is he? Uh, who? I mean, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the kid we gave you to raise. Oh, that Jesus. I don't know. I gave him to Joseph. You know how men are. I don't know. I don't, can you just imagine all the conversation that was going on? So they go back to the temple to look for him. And I want you to notice when they find him, he's teaching. He's doing his amazing things. And Joseph doesn't speak to him. His mother does. And the mother says right there in verse 48, Son, why have you treated us like this? Anybody ever said that to your kids? Why are you treating me this way? Who do you think you are? I'm the mother. I'm the dad. Why? I, I promise you, Mary is not the first or the last who's ever said to their kids, why are you treating us this way? way, right? And then she goes on, I have been anxiously served. Your father and I have been anxiously served. Maybe that's the sword. Maybe that's the sword. This feeling of panic and anxiety that I've lost my kid, my child is gone. And then we see that Jesus responds. He doesn't even apologize. That's very interesting. He says, why are you searching for me? Why were you even looking for me? Hey, hey, church, have you ever noticed how hard it is to control your kids? What do you do when you can't control people? 
What do you do when, you, when nagging a kid or a spouse is not enough? What do you do when begging and just all the time this, what, 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 what do you do when you keep on doing this and it doesn't change? God, grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change, that of the person. I can't fix them. I can't make them right. I can't make them do what I want them to do. Give me serenity to accept that. They have their little kingdom, and it's their kingdom, not mine. I, I love what Jesus says here. He didn't apologize. He says, Did, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I mean, what are you going to do with a kid that's perfect? You can't put him in time out. Jesus created time. Time means nothing to Jesus. Wouldn't phase him at all. And then it says, Jesus went down to Nazareth. He went with them. He was obedient. But his mother, notice this, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I want to push the pause button on the first part of all the things that Mary had to accept. This is something I want you to understand about acceptance. We get a little cue here. This is not the first time that Mary stops in the middle of crazy to ponder something in her heart. Over here in verse 19, it says the same thing in chapter 2. The shepherds, it says, the shepherds, they come and see the child, they're amazed, and they go tell everybody about Jesus. Again, let me ask you, who are you inviting to Christmas? Who are you inviting to see Santa just hoping they come to meet Jesus? Who you, the shepherds, they went and they told everybody. But the scripture says right there in verse 19, but Mary treasured up these things. She stopped and reflected and pondered them in her heart. She wasn't focused on the past. She wasn't worried about the future. She just stopped in the moment of the rogue wave and she reflected in her heart. In your notes, number two, let's jump to that. We'll come back to the last thing of the first part. Accepting what I cannot change means accepting how to be fully present in this moment to God and my real life. That in the middle of the wave, in the moment, being present to God and in the reality of the life in which I live. Now, if you don't do that, psychologists call this something called, called uh, uh, a continuous partial attention. CPA, continual partial attention. And if you did not get that, that means because you were doing it. That means you were not fully present in the moment. Continual partial attention is you're in a moment and you're looking on your phone. You're in a moment, you're thinking about the future. You're worried about the past. You miss what's going on in the moment. I accept the moment because let her be. In this moment, it is a place of God's presence and blessing. Please hear this. God is not going to bless you in the past. Worrying and stewing and ruminating, no blessing. God's not going to bless you as you worry about the future. As you get all worked up and all bent up, he's only going to bless you fully present in the moment you're in, even in the midst of the wave that is turning you under and taking you to the ER. It is only there that you can experience the full blessing in the presence of God. 
Don't miss the moment. I ponder in my heart. I stop and I reflect in the moment. Back to number one. One more thing that Mary had to accept. Rejection and disappointment from loved ones. It's Christmas. And many of you have dysfunctional and broken families. And a lot of the memories of the past and the suffering of the present gets more intense. The rejection, the disappointment of family. Jesus finally at the age of 30 begins his public life and Mary was excited that finally it was starting. But Jesus started doing some strange things. He started touching lepers. You're not supposed to do that. He allowed a prostitute to caress his feet with her hair. You're not supposed to do that. He started hanging out and eating with tax collectors and sinners. You're not supposed to do that. He's the Messiah. He's supposed to be getting rid of the sinful people, not partying with them. But that's what he does. And then Mary, whose whole hopes were that the religious people and the teachers of the law are going to rally around Jesus, they say they're going to kill him. So you got all these strange things that are going on. So much so, we're told over here in Mark chapter 3 that the family shows up after knowing about all this. And it says in verse 21, they say, hey, we come to take charge of Jesus. He's out of his mind. Mary thought her own son was delusional. He thought he was irrational. He thought he was off the reservation and just doing something crazy. she shows up to kind of get some sense into his head. And she shows up, it says there at the end of that same chapter, in Mark chapter 3, he's teaching. And so people on the outside, hey, Jesus, they come and say, hey, your mom's outside. Your brothers, they're all looking for you. And I want you to notice something. Jesus does not go out, stand and stop, say, excuse me, I got to go honor my mom. He just keeps on talking. He ignores that his mom is there. It says, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looks at those seated in the circle and said, hey, here are my mother, here are my brothers, whoever does God's will. You're my brother, you're my sister, and you're my mother. Pow! Jesus, I'm your mother. Don't you remember me? I gave you life. I sacrificed my body so you might live. I stayed up with all those sleepless nights to make sure you were fed and taken care of. Don't you remember me? I'm your mom. Rejection, hurt, disappointment. Don't raise your hand. Does anybody know that feeling of being rejected by your own children? your own grandchildren, your own parents, for whatever the reason, God, grant me the serenity to accept that which I cannot change. The last time we see Mary is over here at the, uh, the end of John, Gospel of John. We see her one more time in the Gospels, and it says right here, it's at the foot of the cross, It says in John 19, verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. I wonder if Jesus thought, you know, I I don't want my mom to be at the cross. I don't want her to see this. It's my mom. 
You know what? I think I'm going to talk to my disciples and take her somewhere far away so she doesn't see or hear me suffer. I just wonder if Jesus did that. Because the very body, the very body that the angel Gabriel said, you're going to have in your womb, the very body you're naturally going to give birth to, the very body that Mary held and fed at her breast and changed and cleaned and rocked and loved, that body right before her eyes has been strung up after being whipped with lashes, nailed to a cross, and left to die. I wonder what Mary thought about the cross. I wonder if Mary ever, like some of us here, casually wore a little cross around her neck like a piece of jewelry, never really reflecting about what it really, really means. I wonder if Mary did that. God, grant me the serenity to accept that with the suffering which I cannot change. And then we're told there that when Jesus saw his mother there, verse 26, and the disciples whom he loved, John, standing there, <coughs> he said to her, woman, this now is your son. And then he turned to John and said, this now is your mother. And from that time on, John took Jesus' mother into his home. Now think about that. Mary already has sons. We read their names in the Bible. James, now known as Jacob, if you think of the Hebrew name. Joseph, Judah, and Simeon. And we're told in John chapter 7, they did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God or the Messiah. And so maybe because Mary stayed loyal to Jesus, they abandoned her. They saw it as an act of betrayal. So Mary is entrusted by Jesus to John. Because now she's a part of Jesus' new family. Her son has become her Lord. And his mother has become his disciple. She has a new family. It's called the family of God. But yet she still has a lot of suffering from her own family being dysfunctional and not all together and all that sort of, God, grant me the serenity to accept the dysfunction in my family that I cannot change. And then they took down the body of Jesus off the cross. And the scripture says they took a sword and they pierced his body. The body that she held, the body that she gave life to and rocked, and the blood came pouring out of that body. And then she remembered the scripture. And a sword will pierce your heart too. I make you a promise. If you live long enough, you will love and love so deeply. And one day that love will kill you. It will pierce your soul. One day there's going to be somebody that you love so much. That you would do anything to help them and to change it. And there's nothing you will be able to do. There will come a day where something will come out of your mouth. There will be an action that you will do. And then you will look back and you will say, you know, I will do anything and everything to take that back. But you cannot. And you never will. God, grant me the serenity to accept 
what I cannot change. And we as followers of Jesus, we do not say that prayer because it means we're tough and we're strong and we got this way of faith. There's only one reason we can say that prayer. Only one. Because on the third day, when they went back to the temple to look for their lost son when he was 12, they found him in the temple. But on the third day, when they came to look for him in the tomb, he was not there. He was resurrected. He was alive. And church, that is the only place you have any hope of finding serenity in your soul. In your notes, the foundation for serenity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, period. But Mary didn't know that. She didn't know that was to come. Father, have your way with me. Whatever you want, I am your servant. God gave me this to accept what I cannot change. Oh. We see Mary one more time in the Bible. One more time. In Acts chapter 1. It's after the resurrection. They're in the upper room. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says right there, they name all of the disciples, the 11 that were left. Then it says in verse 14, all of them that were there, they joined together costly in prayer along with the women. And here it comes, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with who? Who else is there? Who else was there? I can't hear you. Who was there? His brothers. That's the power of the resurrection. God, grant me the strength to accept what I can't change, but you can in your time. Now his family had been reconciled and were restored back together because of the resurrection. God, grant me the strength to accept the things that I cannot change, but you can. Not because, not because that just accepting them makes my life more pleasant. Not because accepting them because I can't control them anyway. Not because people will not be as upset if I stop trying to control them. But because the God of the cross is the God of the resurrection. But because the dream that you have to die to will one day replace by God with an infinitely better dream than you could ever dream. Because your soul, which will one day your heart be pierced by a sword, will be given a new heart that is full of joy that the world can't touch. And because the people that you want to control are better and safer in God's hands than in your hands. Because you're going to mess it up, but God will restore and reconcile and make it right. Church, when the rogue waves come, and they will come. They will come. Someone you love will die. You will never be able to get pregnant, some of you. You will face financial hardship after financial hardship. Key things will happen to your kids out of your control. But when they come, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning, the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is where you get your serenity. Now, I know it's Christmas, and for some of you, pretty soon, it all will not be calm. It's a very expensive season, this season called Christmas, and some of you are really worried about the finances. you got obligations to go there and to go there and to go there. You're going to be stretched so thin. Hurry, always in a hurry. The, bit, the emotions, maybe a first Christmas without a loved one. So many things. 
all is not going to be calm. On Christmas Eve, this is how we'll end worship. By singing Silent Night, all is calm. That's how we'll end it. But we're going to end it right here in a different way. I know the time. I want to give you a gift as you walk out before you decorate the Christmas tree. And here it is. In the early 1800s, there was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford who lived in Chicago, a deep man of faith and a man of means who lost everything that he owned in the Chicago fire. He made a promise to rebuild his house and his family for his four daughters and his wife. And he did. Successful businessman and leader in Chicago, a deep man of faith. He decides he's going to take his family on vacation to Europe, and he's going on a missionary trip with Moody, a great man, a preacher of that day. He has to stay behind on business to take care of a very important job. He sends his family on ahead. Their ship collides with another ship, and the ship goes down, and all four of his daughters drown. He gets a note from his wife saying this, saved alone. He gets on the very next ship to go out to find where the ship was, where his daughters went down. And when he got there, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Lord, whatever it is, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Every eye closed, no excuses. Every single eye closed, no looking around. If you need serenity this morning, just let the music wash over you and bathe you deep into your soul. Let it sink in. And if you need some serenity, I would invite you as a statement of faith, if you can, to stand right where you are. Maybe you're a burden for a loved one. There's something going on with a child, with a parent, and you cannot change it. I invite you to stand. Every eye closed, no looking around, just stand. Maybe you feel the financial pressures, particularly of Christmas. You can't seem to change it or to get it right. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe school, your college degree, it's not going well, whatever it is. I invite you to stand. Nobody looking around, all eyes closed. Maybe you love children and you don't have any children. You don't have any grandchildren. And it's Christmas and there's an emptiness within your soul. Maybe you lost a child. And every time you see the little ones around here at Christmas, it just brings it up. Maybe <coughs> you lost a mother or you lost a father. And this is the first Christmas. Maybe you have an addiction.
Maybe you're living in fear. I just invite you to stand. Just let the music wash over you. Just nobody else. Just let the music wash over you. Maybe you feel lost. No direction for your life. Maybe you're lonely. You're in church right now. People sitting all around you. But you feel so alone. Just stand. Let the music wash over you. Now I'm going to invite everyone to stand. Everyone to stand. And if you know it by heart, just your eyes closed. But sing it as a statement of faith. If you need to open your eyes, that's okay. But now we're going to sing it together as a statement of declaration of faith, okay? Let's sing it like we mean it. Here we go. I can't hear you sing. When the road waves come in, Lord, when they roll in, whatever happens, I can't change it. But I know what you've told me to say, Lord. It is well. Say like you mean it. It is well with my soul. And now, God, grant everyone now who can hear my voice the serenity to accept what they cannot and who they cannot change. Grant them a peace that the world cannot touch based on their situation. And grant them a hope beyond death. And we pray this in the name of the one who is incarnate, who was crucified and resurrected on the third day, Jesus himself. And all God's people said, amen and amen. It is well. See you next weekend.